If you have your Bibles, I'm going to turn to a couple places tonight. It's going to be on the screens, but Psalm 145 is where we're going to start. Psalm 145. And tonight, I just believe that every one of you can make a difference in this world. We are at 111 years old because people decided to make a difference. They decided there needed to be a church, and they decided that they were going to put one in the city of Yorba Linda. And generation after generation after generation have showed up, and here we are tonight because of those amazing people. Psalm 145, verse 3 through 6 says this, Great is the Lord, and he's most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. At Friends Church, one generation commends the work of another generation, and they tell of God's goodness and his grace, and it lives on today because of them. And when you look back at history, it gives you a picture of your past, while at the same time, it gives you a glimpse of the future. It gives you a glimpse of, of the hope that one day you could be, and by God's grace, one day you will be. You see, when this group of people believed that there should be a Friends Church in Yorba Linda, these pioneers stepped out in faith and they started with a Sunday school for the next generation of kids. They started because they wanted the kids to understand and know who Jesus is. And every year, if you come at our anniversary, I kind of read from our history book called Friends Church. And so I'm going to do that right now. And here's how we started. In the summer of 1911, a group of residents of Yorba Linda, a then rural community north of Anaheim, came together to discuss what they believe was one of the area's fundamental needs a good, solid Christian education for their children. Mr. and Mrs. W.L. Stewart drew 20 residents, more than half the town's population of 35 people. Organizers gathered, and they got a census of the group, which revealed that most of them were either of the Friends denomination or the Methodist denomination. Since there was a majority of friends at the meeting, the participants decided that they were going to start a friend's church, and they talked to a church in Whittier, 20 miles away, to explore the possibility. And on August 10th, 1912, prospective leaders and members met to work out the congregational details of this new church, and the church was dedicated on the following day, August 11th. The Friends Church Sunday School began with four classes with an enrollment. Listen to this. There was only 35 in the town. They had 51 in the four classes. These friends became an official church at the end of October in 1912. Many in the community arrived on foot or by horse and buggy to attend the first gathering at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. The first sanctuary was built at the cost of $1,513.63. That's including donated labor. The rectangular structure was designed with a small foyer and a bell tower. And thanks to the generosity of the congregation, the building, which still sits on, sm on a small hill east towards School Street, was dedicated debt-free. If you ever want to see our church, just go to Clyde's Chicken over in Yorba Linda and right next door... There's the old social hall of the Baptist church now, but that was our first church. And here we sit some 111 years later to celebrate. 
If you've been a part of this church, you know that I believe this with all of my heart. Our best days are not behind us, but they are ahead of us. They're not behind us. They are still to come. And today I'm filled with hope, not because of anything we will do, but because of the amazing God that we serve. Here's what I believe right now, and I'm going to remind you of some things, and I've done it in in a few sermons over the last year, but I want to remind you because I want to prepare us as we prepare for this next year. Here's what I truly believe. A divided country needs to see a united church. And let's bring it down a little more personal. A divided community needs to see a united church. So how's that going to take place? Well, it starts with you. So let me just ask you a question. What are you going to do with the one extraordinary life God gave you? What are you going to do this next year to make a difference for him? Because every single one of us has an opportunity to make a difference in this world. You just have to choose that you want to do it. The reason you clap for Jay Hewitt when you came up here, there's a lot of reasons you clap for him. But now that he's been a pastor here for a, a number of years... And most of you know that um, he's been struggling with, with brain cancer that is terminal, and, and God has just um, totally used this man. And I remember when he walked in my office, and we decided to change his job, and we kept looking and saying, Jay, what, what's God going to do in and through you now that you have this story to tell? And I believe I was supposed to help him steward his life, and I believe that, that God was going to tell his story in ways we could never imagine. So we said, we're just going to free you up. We're going to give you a job that gives you freedom to go and tell your story. We're going to give you a, a job that, that allows you to get outside of these four walls. And when we did that, we had no idea, and I don't even think he wanted to do it. And since then, many of you know, while going through chemotherapy, he decided to do an Ironman, as every person going through cancer and chemotherapy do. He completed the Ironman and we decided to, to raise some money outside of the, the church, but with, from people within the church, to do a documentary on Jay and to tell that story. He did it for his daughter. And that is going to be releasing on Thanksgiving Day on Amazon Prime, that documentary, which is unbelievable. Along with that, Jay has written a book. He was signed by Zondervan Books. And this is coming out. Let me get the right date. The book releases on November 14th. And on November 19th, Sunday night, that's just a couple weeks away, uh, we're going to have an event here from 4.30 to 7. And we're going to show the movie. This is kind of an exclusive before it goes to to Prime Video. And you can see it if you have Prime. But we'd love for you to come. Jay's going to be here. You can order your books. You can buy your books here. He's going to shop. We're going to do a little question and answer. But we're going to have a great time from 4.30 to 7. But I would like you to give it up for all that Jay has done and all that God's done in and through him over these last three years. So what are you going to do with your one extraordinary life? Second question is this, what are we going to do with the one extraordinary church God has given us? What are we going to do? Bob Goff, is, uh, Bob Goff is a great communicator and writer, and we brought him in, I think it was for our 105th anniversary, and he spoke He wrote a book called Dream Big, and in his opening pages, he tells a story about two very different groups of people that he works with. First is he's an adjunct professor at Pepperdine Law School. He works with some of the brightest and most ambitious law students in the country. And many of them have had a lot of life breaks that have pointed them in the right direction. The second group of people he teaches are at San Quentin State Prison. 
His class there is filled with men who are felons and their misdeeds have exacted a high price for their namely, really namely their freedom has been taken away. And he said, I learned quite a bit from both students. But the contrast between both groups cannot be overlooked. He says, there is an authenticity, I can't even speak tonight, authenticity that brokenness can refine in our lives if we'll let it. Ironically, the guys with the life sentence often seem to be living free lives, while the law students are caught up in way too many things. The men in San Quentin, their brokenness ultimately led them to a personal freedom, even behind bars. And then he just asked the question, have you ever wondered why some people achieve so much with their lives and others don't? One person starts with no money, some terrible circumstances, and seems to be the happiest, most fulfilled, and self-aware person you'll ever meet. And yet another person is born with a trust fund and good looks and endless apparent opportunities. And yet they lead a sad, self-absorbed, meaningless life. And really the question he asks is, why is it that some people live inspired lives and others just can't? I have the same question for the church today. Why do churches, some of them seem to flourish while others drift away from who they were called to be? Why is it that more churches are closing their doors today than are opening their doors? There are a lot of answers to the question, but after 111 years of this church being on the planet, we are still here. And we're not just here by chance. We're here because of you. We're here because of people like you who have given of your time and your talent and your treasure. You have given, but you also have been recipients of God's grace. And as you have done that, you have decided, and I have watched over my 31, coming on 32 years here in this place, you come together in ways that were more than any of us could ever imagine to see God do more than we could ever dream of. And we come to John, the writer, in chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And in John chapter 17, Jesus is actually speaking We're invited into this uh, divine conversation between him and his father. It's his final prayer. It's his final prayer that is really recorded with his heavenly father before he goes to the cross and he sacrifices his lives for you and for me. And he is talking about the men and women that will carry on the mission that he had set forth. In John chapter 17, verse 11 He says this to his father. He said, I will remain no longer in the world, no longer, but they are still in the world, speaking of his disciples. And he said, and I'm coming to you. He said, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. It's the name you gave me. Why? Well, so that they may be one as we are one. He first prays for their protection. He knows what's coming and he wanted them to be protected by his name. And then he prayed that they would have unity like he and his father had. The unity must be visibly based on love so that the world would in return see that it was all about Jesus. It's amazing in his last prayer, don't you think he could have prayed for anything? And yet in the very last prayer with his heavenly father, he says, make them one as we are one. 
I think beginning words and last words are really, really important. And these last words are hugely important for us as a church today. In John chapter 13, verse 35, he said this, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. There's going to be a lot of ways that people will look onto you, and they're going to wonder who you are and why you do what you do. And he says, the greatest way that they will know you are my disciples is if you love one another. And it's not some manufactured love, and it's not one that is actually humanly produced. No, it's an outward growth of the relationship that a follower has with his Savior. And that is something that we pray for, and we fight for, and we continually work towards in this church. And the word is unity. Because you see, unity was at the heart of the Savior, and it was one of the last things on his heart before he went to the cross. Think of it this way. When Jesus was on this earth, he was the bearer of God's glory to the world. And now the church, you and me, we bear that glory, and we are to shine his love throughout the world. So Jesus prays that, and a little bit later in verse 20 and 21, he says this, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Church, when you give a picture of unity, Jesus says it's so that the world would choose to believe. He says when you love each other and you show something of what's going on inside the church and you take that outside the church, <laughs> you get to show the Father's love. So how do we do that? How do we take a, a, a group of individuals, thousands of people in six campuses now, <laughs> how do we take it and become unified? Well, I want to tell you tonight, where we're going to start. See, Jesus, I believe, had a vibrant relationship with his Father. And he understood what it meant to be on mission and on message. And for us, our confidence has to rely on Jesus, and our foundation is always Jesus, just like we sang. But I love what Gary Burge says about the church. He says this, The confidence of the church's mission rests here. If it lives in the Spirit, and thereby in the Father and Son, if it reflects God's glory and love, if it shows a unity in its ranks born by a shared knowledge of God, its testimony will astonish the world. And I want to be a church that actually astonishes somebody. I want to be a church that when people walk in that they go, man, why do you guys like each other so much? I want to be a church that when you walk in, that the, the people are, are full of smiles and happiness, and you feel the love of the Lord once you walk in the doors, because that's who we are, or that's who we should be. Our name is friends. You've heard me say it. I just want to match our name. I want when people come in here that they understand that they have a friend, not only in us, but in Jesus. And he cries out and he says, I want you, Father, I want you to pray over them and I want you to protect them so that they can be one, so that the world can know. I just want you to know something. I love the church. I love the church in general. And here's also what I know because I've grown up in it. It's messed up because all of you are in it. <laughs> and I'm in it. 
And with all of its mess-ups, and I grew up in the church. I was at the church all the time. My mom was a janitor at the church. My dad was on the board of the church. He led the choir. We went on Wednesday night and Sunday morning and Sunday night. Both my brothers are pastors. I'm a pastor. Uh, The church was everything to us. And with all of its flaws and all the things that we do wrong, because we do things wrong, And in our humanity, I love the church because Jesus came and he said, church is going to be the place where people come to know me. The church is going to be the one thing that endures forever. The church is going to stand when nothing else stands. He says, I love my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the church taught me so many things. It showed me a picture of who Jesus was and how to love him. Show me a picture of what it meant to, to get outside of yourself and to give generously. I've told you, I'm a third child, right? My brothers were 14 and 10 years younger, older than me. I grew up really by myself. And my wife, when we first got married, she was like, who did I marry? I'm pretty selfish. And the church helped me understand what it meant to live a generous life. The church helped me understand that when I opened up with everything that I have and gave it over to the Lord, when I was generous with my time and my talent and my treasure, he blessed me in ways I can never imagine. The church helped me to understand that I was never alone or in isolation. And that's the church that we get to have and we get to proclaim. So as I look at the church, the story for us is just not finished yet. And at 111 years, I can't wait to see what God has for us. And so I just want to review a few things with you tonight before we celebrate baptisms and before we end this service. But I want to review who we are. And I just want to remind you of God's call on our lives. Our mission statement is this, that we are becoming a community of authentic Christ followers compelled to change our world. Say it loud like you're not just sitting in church, but you're at a ball game. Ready? Becoming a community of authentic Christ followers compelled to change our world. That in this church, we actually want to reflect Jesus. We just don't want to talk about it. We want to live it out. And because of what Jesus has done in our hearts, we are then compelled to go outside these doors around the corner and around the world and help others come to know him. We don't want to just attend church Sunday to Sunday and then go home. We believe Jesus makes a difference in our lives, and he's going to make a difference in others. So how do we live that mission out? And it's very basic. Here's what we do. There's three Gs. The first G is this. We gather. That's what we do on the weekends. We gather. We have like 12 services this weekend on all of our campuses, and people are going to gather And we're going to celebrate God's goodness. We bring people in so they can learn what it means to follow Jesus. You're going to have 33 people being baptized at this campus this weekend. Tonight, I think there's 13 people that we're going to be baptized. And we're going, to, we're going to celebrate and we're going to cheer because they are acknowledging that Jesus is the Lord of their life. And when we gather, you get to worship and you get to sing and you get to be prayed over. And you get to hear God's word. And you never know who's going to walk in the doors of this church. And there's a young man who just happened to find us. And God has changed his life, and actually he works on our staff, and we thought it'd be great if you just heard a little bit of his story. So take a look at the screens as you hear from Slava today. My name is Slava, and I came from a country torn by war. I came from a country that keeps fighting for its existence and independence. 
I came from Ukraine. I wanted to come to United States. I dreamed about California and to seek my career as a musician here. I remember to woke up not from the explosion, but from the high-pitched sound of passing through missile and then multiple explosions after that. Hey, what are you guys doing? First two weeks was big hope that we could stop them, that we could fight back. But then this war just continued. I heard maybe 20 explosions, and every time I just felt my life floating away from me. You're just hiding in the corridor. It's like supposed to be the safest place for you to hide in. But you know that this, this will not help you. Some of my friends, I don't know right now if they're alive or not. All you can do is just pray. It was a difficult time for me, but I never stopped believing God and His plan. Each year, United States issuing 50,000 green cards and millions of people around the world from different countries participating. Then miracle happened with me. I won a green card lottery, which I participated in for seven years. So I just get down on my knees and just pray, thank you, God, for helping me. It was my hardest and the luckiest year in my entire life. When I just moved to United States, I found Friends Church. When I walked through the doors, I was thinking that this church is so bright and inspiring. I just felt really happy to be there. I was lucky to find a job at French Church, and it's a really big honor for me to be a staff member. I hope that God will help me to get through this difficult time in my life and succeed with all my big dreams that could sound like Im impossible, but like to win a green card lottery, it's 0.01%. After all this difficult time, my faith never wavered, and I never stopped believe in God's plan that something greater waiting for me, for my family, and for my country. Never underestimate the power of prayer and belief. And if it's hard for you right now, it's only for limited time. There will be bright future for you, because God has a plan and if it's not today, then it's tomorrow. Zero point zero one percent. And somehow he made his way to this church and somehow we had a graphic arts position open and somehow he had all those gifts. And he came up to me at the Family Fun Fest and he was walking around and he just looked at me because he's never seen anything quite like it. He just grabbed my shoulders. He's like, this is amazing. <laughs> and I said, yeah, it is. I don't know whose story is not done being written. It could be yours or it could be somebody you know. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do between now and Christmas. 
Because every Christmas, I don't know, we got like 25 services this year. We've, we're so excited about 25 services. We're ready to go. We have thousands of people here, and I'm serious about that. I need you to begin thinking about who you're going to bring. Because I'm going to give people an opportunity to understand and know who this Jesus is. And here's what I want you to do between now and then. There is somebody that you know, a family member, a friend, somebody that needs their life changed by Christ. So I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to pray for one minute. And I want you to pray for one person, for one minute, one time, every day. I want you tonight to think about the person right now, whoever it is. You can put it in your phone. Just put it... Put it in your notes, and then I want you to invite them to come to church with you. How many of you have one minute in the day? About seven of you, that's great. You got one person for one minute, one time. Because I think there's a bunch of Slavas out there that are just looking for something, and they don't know what it is. And we believe Jesus is the answer. And that's why we gather in this place. Second thing is we grow. We grow. We are raising up and making disciples of Jesus Christ. A church is not an organization you join. You see, it's a family where you belong. It's a home where you are loved and a hospital where you find healing. And we don't think it's enough just to come and sit in rows. We ask you to come and gather in circles and to be in circles and to grow in your faith and be rooted in God's word. And we have a 10-week uh, discipleship track uh, that we ask you to go through. And it's really your first step after you come and you meet with me and we tell you kind of the vision of the church. We ask you to go through Rooted. And, and, and over the last six years, we have had 4,245 people that have walked through Rooted just at this campus. And we are asking that people come to know and understand who this Jesus is, that you become a disciple of him. So we gather, we grow, and then we go. And we send out around the corner, around the world. That's why we plant churches. Next week, we launch our sixth campus in Corona. We talked to you about it. We're really excited. And Kyle Bleeker and the team are starting next week. And then the week after that, our Orange campus is celebrating 10 years already on November 19th. It's really exciting because I ask every one of you if you would consider giving $100 to help us launch these churches. And we have a goal of $500,000, but to date, and people are still giving, we have $325,000 that have come in on top of everything else that we've done here at this church to help launch these churches and these pastors. So I just want to say thank you. And we're sending those people out, and we're sending some of you out to go to Corona and to launch this new expression of friends. Along with that, you heard about Jay. He was talking about boxes of love. I need you to take those boxes. We're going after five or 6,000 boxes of love. Um, and, and we need to fill those to care for every foster child, not just in Orange County, but in Riverside and all of our other partners. So you need to take one, two, three, four, five. If you don't know what it is, it's a box and it's filled and we give you the instructions and then you go fill that box with love. It tells you all the things you need to fill it with and then you come and you bring that box back and then we turn it into gifts and presents and we wrap them and we send them out and we give them to every kid that needs to have a Christmas. So as you go out tonight, the boxes are right outside and we'd love for you to grab about 500 of those each, all right? So take them and go. So we gather, we grow, and we go. And then the last one is this. Um, it's the fourth G and it's just give. I unashamedly ask you to give of your time and your treasure and your talent. And I don't ask you to sacrifice anything that my family and our staff aren't sacrificing. There is no place I'd rather give my finances to than this place right here. I love what God's doing and I love what he's doing through you. And I just invite you to be a part. So what does all that look like? 
What does that mean for us? I, I love what Craig Rochelle said, and, and this was about kids, but it, it'll, it'll make sense in a minute. Your children just, uh, j- don't just become what you say. They become what they see. Your children just, they don't come by what you say, they become what they see. Which means they aren't just listening, they're watching. And I think the same thing is in the church, because I think a lot of times we talk about unity all the time, but to actually be a church that's unified, it's a different deal. (laughs) Because we can say all the time, oh yeah, we have unity in our church, but a lot of times it's not true. Augustine said this way, in essentials you have unity in non-essentials, you have liberty, and in all things, there is to be charity. So, the essentials, unity, non-essentials, liberty, and all things, charity. So, I'm going to break it down in two different ways for you. I want you to understand what the essentials are tonight. This is what unifies us, and these are never going to change in this church. First, that we believe salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. We believe the necessity of Jesus Christ for our salvation. We believe in the divinity of Jesus, that he was fully God, yet fully man. We believe in the existence of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, God in three persons. We believe in the inspiration and authoritative nature of the Bible. We believe in the crucifixion of Jesus and the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And one day, the future return of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Those are the essentials. Those are the things that we stand on. Those are our faith and our foundation. And in the non-essentials, we have liberty. And what do we mean by that? Well, we aren't saying there won't be differences. We will and we do have them. But the Bible calls us in our differences to rise above those. And in a large church, here's what it requires. It requires way more charity in all things that weren't on that list. In all the non-essentials. Because there are so many more people with more stuff and religious upbringings and viewpoints than smaller organizations. It's really hard in a large church. But we're going to fight for unity here. Because we want to be a picture of who Jesus is. In all things charity is the third one. Did you know that there are over 35,000 denominations around the world? 35,000 denominations. You know what that means? We're not unified. We don't know how to live like Jesus. That's what it means. And we've kind of created this Christian subculture that keeps us from touching the world because we haven't truly been touched by the power of God and obeying him and living out our lives. And it's just expressed in all the different churches and denominations. And here's what I believe. I'm thankful for all the churches that are around us. It takes all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. But 35,000 seems a little extreme. And here's what I believe, that a divided community needs to see a, a united church. So how are we going to live that out? Well, if you were here about a year ago, we gave you three hills. My executive pastor taught them to me, and so I'm teaching them to you again, um, and I'm doing it on purpose. Because when we get ready to celebrate 112 years, guess what's going to happen between now and then? There's going to be an election. You know how much fun that is for pastors? You know how much fun that is for you? You know how hard it is because our country is already divided? We are going to have to fight hard to stay up here and not be 
down here. We're going to have to pray for our country. I love our country. I love what God has given us. I love our freedom. I love that we get to worship here in the freedom we have. But politics and government and other things divide people. So I'm going to remind you the hills we're going to die on and the ones we aren't. So when you write me the email, I'll send you the three hills and remind you again. Here's the first one. The hill to die on. Second one is the hill to debate on. And then the third one. Is the hill to discuss on. The hill to die on, you just heard. I gave you those essentials. Those are the things that we will die for. Those are the things that we will fight. Those are the things we will not compromise. And there's just not going to be any disagreement about those things. The hill to debate on, I love that we can agree to disagree. And what does that mean? I won't be offended and hold you in contempt if you don't agree with me. And you won't judge me when we disagree. I believe that in my relationships. I've told you this before. We can't even agree in our whole family what to do, right? We couldn't even agree when my kids were young where they wanted to eat dinner. And I just ended up at In-N-Out all the time. I told you that before because that was just the easiest. But... We have a hill that we get to debate on. I told you this when I preached on this the last time. There are uh, two people in our family now because all three kids are, are gone. And there's one person in our family that has a view of how the trash can should go out and come in. I told you that. And there's another person who has a different view about how the trash can should come in and come out. There's another person who has a, a very, very narrow view of how the dishwasher works. And there's one that's a little bit free willy. I promise you I'll do the dishes and I'll put them in. And then she just stands over and then she just rearranges all the dishes and on the top. And I'm like, if you want to do it, just do it. I'll, I'll go to the other room. She goes, no, you're doing great. No, I'm not doing great because you just rearrange everything I just did. Yet she's so organized in the dishwasher. But you know where she takes her toothpaste from and the toothpaste tube? The middle of the tube. It's a wreck. It's all like this. And I go in every night and I take it on the edge of the sink and I roll it all the way down so it's down like that. Thank you. The mangled up toothpaste thing. It didn't make any sense. Her and I can debate on it and we're going to disagree how things go, but guess what? We're in love. And we're going to be okay the next day. And there's so many secondary issues at the church, I can't even get, give, give enough of those and I don't have time to. But I'll give you this illustration before I move on because I'm out of time. Um, family Fun Fest. You guys were all excited about it, right? Man, people were just fired up. I was away on a trip and my assistant called me and she said, hey, you're going to have to come and give your staff a motivational speech about the Family Fun Fest because they're not very excited about it. You know why? It's a lot of and I had to come back and I had to pump them up and I had to tell them why we were doing it. And they weren't as excited as you. But guess what? They gave 110%. And look what happened. We're going to disagree and we're going to do things that you don't like. And guess what? We get to move on. Because it's not in the essential category. It's in the debate category. Here's what scripture says. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And we believe that Jesus has transformed us. So we're going to live that way as his family. I'm going to give you just two categories, and then I'm going to wrap things up, all right? Here's what it means to conform, and here's what it means to be transformed. Conforms means this, it's more about me. Transform means it's more about others. Conform, more about imposing. Transform people, it's more about deferring. When we conform to the world, (laughs) we're having to be right. Transform people would rather get it right. Conform means that we would rather be served. And transform means we've decided to serve. Conform means looks to quarrel. And transform people, by the grace of God, choose to pursue harmony. Conforming people judges others, and transform people doesn't judge others. <laughs> and conform doesn't trust others. But transform people begins to build trust with others. And the person who is transformed by the love of God just asks this in all situations, what does love require of me? There's a hill to die on, and that list is really, really small. There's a hill to debate, discuss on. And then, as we look at the end, we see when we have a hill to die on, I'll go to the mat for that. The hill to debate on, I'll be your friend no matter if you disagree with me. And the hill to discuss on, I mean, it's we, we have preferences that you like and that I like. But those are three hills. And that's kind of how we're going to handle every situation around here. And that's kind of how we're going to choose to live in unity. Here's what I believe. To be a multi-generational church and to live on for 111 more years means we are going to have to sacrifice And just understand it will require something of all of us. And I pray that you are willing to sacrifice for the glory of God. Remember that scripture I started with. It said, great is the Lord and he is most worthy of praise. His grace is no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. And they tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. I'd love for you to stand right now. For those of you that this is your home church, I just want to say thank you for the privilege of allowing me to be here for 32 years. Thank you for the joy that my family has Thank you that my kids, all three of them, found Jesus here. All three of my kids that aren't in the home are walking with Jesus today. And I can promise you it's not because we had the greatest home. I believe this. You allowed them, because many of you didn't even know them, just to grow up and be kids and not pastor's kids. And if you know anything about pastor's kids, they can be some trouble. (laughs) And for some reason, God just found favor that we would be here as all of my kids grew up. And when I talk to them on the phone, 
And as I watched a video of my daughter just quoting scripture over her, over her uh, sorority this week, as she became president of her sorority, which was really cool, and she's quoting scripture up there, and then she prayed for him. I just sat there, and you know, I was a pretty proud dad. But I actually was more proud of this place. Because every Sunday school teacher, every teacher at Friends Christian, every person that prayed over them in high school and in junior high, I just thought to myself, what a privilege. What a privilege that God gave our family. And for those of you who are here, and this isn't your church, I just want you to know, these are some of the greatest people you'll ever meet. They're some of the kindest, most generous, loving people you'll ever meet. And if you don't have a home or you don't have a family, I just want to tell you, you should come here, not because of me or, or any of us pastors. You come here because of the people. They make Friends Church great. And I've had a prayer for the last year, and I read it at the end of our 110th. And so I'm going to read this prayer, and then we're going to baptize some people, and we're going to celebrate God's goodness to all of us. But here is my I dream prayer to God, and it's for you. But I dream of a church where lost people are found and found people are sold out for Jesus. I dream of a church where people fall in love with Jesus instead of getting all bound up in religion. I dream of a church where living for God is no longer a duty, but a delight. And those who delight in the Lord will break forth with new fruit and new life. I dream of a church where unschooled, ordinary men and women do extraordinary things for Jesus because his power lives in them and is seen through them. I dream of a church that testifies in word and deed to the power of the resurrection, and in return, God's grace is so powerfully on them that the world actually is changed because of them. And I dream of a church that becomes a voice for Jesus and is not just an echo of the culture where Jesus' followers fulfill the commands of the Bible because they have fallen in love with their Savior rather than their guilt full trying to live up to something of a religious standard. And I dream of a church that is filled with the power of the Spirit and the love of Jesus, that they become a community of authentic Christ followers. And in return, they are compelled to go and change the world, not just for this generation, but all generations that will follow. From one generation to the next, in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, I pray that over you, for you, and to you. And it's in his name we all said, amen.